have, when you know what you want your life to count for, and it's something that really counts, then you discover the secret to real joy in life. I think we see that in this text of Scripture. And, you know, at the end, if we're done today and it's not there, you can ask me and I'll, I'll try to clarify it for you. But Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Paul writes this, and remember, where's Paul at? He's in prison. Anybody know where he's in prison at? In Rome. Okay, some people believe he's in Caesarea, which totally doesn't make sense because at, in, in, in the fourth chapter, he says to the people, I send you greetings from Caesar's household. Caesar's household was not in Caesarea. Caesar's household was in, was in Rome. Okay? But, but Paul writes, and he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And what happened to Paul? If you read through the book of Acts, you, you, you get the story. Paul shows up in, in Jerusalem. He begins preaching in the name of Jesus. He preaches that God loves Gentiles as well as Jews. And guess what? It doesn't go over real well. There's a riot. Paul's arrested. They want him to stand trial. Paul knows that if he goes to trial in Jerusalem, he probably won't live. And so he appeals this case to Caesar. And at the end of Acts, we discover, we read that Paul is in, in prison in Rome awaiting trial. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Uh, who's the palace guard? Real quick, I just want, want you to know this. If you have a numerical standard, I think it's written uh, Praetorian Guard. I think in the English Standard Version it says Imperial Guard. The Praetorian Guard was a group of elite soldiers in Rome. Uh, there were about 9,000 of them. They received double the wages of other uh, Roman soldiers. And one of the works, one of the tasks given to these soldiers is that when someone was awaiting trial with Caesar, uh, they had the job of being chained to the person awaiting trial. Okay? So so Paul is chained every day to a different a different guard. And he says, as a result, you know, of his circumstances, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. And and <clears throat> and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Circle the word gospel. Actually, circle the word gospel at the end of verse 12 and circle the word gospel again there in verse 14. It's true, Paul says, that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. That's interesting. Some people preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Really? Yeah. But others preach Christ out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Circle that word gospel. Very important word. Everywhere in the New Testament, but especially in the book of of Philippians. I am put here for the defense of the gospel, he says in verse 16. He said the former, you know, those are the guys who preach with bad motives. Excuse me. Yeah. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing They can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? Verse 18. The important thing that is in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. 
See, what matters most to Paul is that Christ is preached. Now, some people mistakenly think these are false teachers. These are not false teachers. Because whenever Paul speaks of false teachers, he says things like them, may they be accursed. These are people who are actually preaching Christ. It's simply that they're preaching Christ with bad motives. Does that happen? Yeah, happened then, still does. Um, because of this, I rejoice. Then uh, the rest of verse 18 says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life I'm set free or by death I'm condemned. For to me, Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Underline those words. There's your 12-word epitaph. For to me, to live as Christ, and to die as Cain. And then those words were not written simply to inform us of Paul's epitaph, but instruct us about what our epitaph should be. For to me, to live as Christ, and to die as gain. Well, what does that mean? If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. It's an opportunity to serve Jesus. Yeah, what shall I choose? I don't know. He's talking about, what do I want? Do I want to die or do I want to live? He says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Hey, there is nothing anybody can offer you in this world. There is nothing in this world that can compete. with. If you belong to Jesus, if you belong to Jesus... You drive out in the country, out in Sassoon Valley, you look at a couple of these larger homes. Maybe you read uh, the business section of the newspaper and you read about people who are extremely wealthy like Bill Gates. Uh, Maybe you watch TV and you see people who are, are very famous and successful and powerful. Folks, let me tell you, none of that compares with what you will one day experience when you are with Jesus forever. Your home is not here. Your home is with Jesus. And so Paul says, I don't know what to choose because, you know, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, verse 24, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, that I will live, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you. Why? For your progress and joy in the faith. By the way, when you are growing in your walk with Jesus, with that, there comes there will come joy. I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Well, three things I want to share with you this morning. Three things, three principles uh, from this passage that can help you discover an epitaph worth living for and a joy-filled life worth living for. You want that? Do you want something that's really worth living for? 
Do you want something that can be bring great joy to your life? I think in this text, we're going to see that. The first principle I want to draw your attention to is this, is that, that nothing, nothing, nothing can stop the advancement of the gospel. Did you know that? Nothing can. Nothing can stop the advancement of the gospel when, when Christ is proclaimed. People, it is so important that we as a church every week are proclaiming Christ. It is so important for this community. This community, des- you know what? I, I'm going to say something here. And, and, and when I say this, some of you may think this is judgmental. I had this conversation this last week with a friend of mine who's a pastor of a church up in Vacaville. And this is what I shared with my buddy. I said, it grieves my heart when I watch people in Fairfield who go to church in, in Vacaville instead of being the church in Fairfield. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm envious of the success of other churches. It's not about that. It's about us being successful as the church in this community. See, this This community needs us to be the church. It doesn't need us to go to church somewhere else. It needs us to be the church right here. Now, folks, I'm I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just telling you that this community needs us to be the church right here, right now. Oh, it needs us to be the church. And nothing can stop the advancement of the gospel when Christ is proclaimed. If we will proclaim Christ in this community, nothing can stop the advancement of the gospel. You see, when Paul, you look at this text and, and, and remember this, is that Paul says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What's he saying? This is what he's saying. I'm in chains. The gospel is not. See, my circumstances have actually acted to advance the gospel. He he said, in fact, it's become known throughout the Praetorian Guard. Remember who the Praetorian Guard is? Remember, throughout the Praetorian Guard, 9,000 soldiers. 9,000 elite soldiers. It was the place to serve in the Roman army. 9,000 elite soldiers are hearing the gospel. Why? Because Paul has a captive audience. I've heard this many times from many preachers. It works. See, the way Paul saw it is he's not chained to them. They're chained to him. And he's going to talk about Jesus. And there ain't nobody going to shut him up. So whether he's sharing with them directly or there's someone else visiting him, he's talking about Jesus. And, 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 and in fact, he, he says that it is actually, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard, the Praetorian guard, and everyone else. This is why Paul, later in chapter 4, Paul says, I, I send you greetings from those of Caesar's household. See, the gospel was making its way through his imprisonment into the Praetorian guard and into the household of Caesar. That doesn't happen. If Paul isn't imprisoned. But the thing is, it's not just Paul talking about Jesus. 
The scripture says, he says this, he says, um, he says, um, here in verse 4, uh, 13, uh, as a result, it's become clear, you know, my circumstances, is, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, Paul says this, because of my chains, everybody else is discouraged and nobody's, everybody's afraid to talk about Jesus. Isn't that what it says in verse 14? Isn't that what you would expect would happen? If I got chained this morning, is someone else going to enthusiastically stand up and preach next week? The answer to that is yes. Yes. Someone else will enthusiastically stand up and preach Christ right here. And if that person's chained next week, someone else will step up and, and enthusiastically preach Christ right here. Because that's what we're about. And Paul says, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Isn't that fantastic? You know, um, persecution never, never, never stops the spread of the gospel when the people of God Proclaim it. Uh, nothing can stop the advancement of the gospel in Christ is proclaimed. Second principle I want you to see in the scripture is, is that, that we can rejoice when Christ is proclaimed. Even when some proclaim him with bad motives. Now, now I want to tell you something uh, a little bit here in verses 15 through 18. Paul says, hey, you know, it's true. Some people preach Christ out of Indian rivalry. Now, my guess is this is not a huge group of people. My guess is it's probably a smaller group of people, but there are some people who are envious of Paul's influence. And and he says it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. And Paul says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives are true, Christ is preaching because of this I rejoice. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes, pastors, we can struggle with our egos. We can become envious of someone else's stage, okay, someone else's influence. That does happen. It happens with pastors. It happens with churches. Um, and, um, you know, the, the other day I was up in, uh, I was up at, uh, I was up in Tuolumne at Silver Spur, uh, Christian camp, one of our camp up there. And I, I ran into a buddy of mine who's a church planner up in Eureka. And I was talking with Nate. And Nate told me, he said, you know, Gary, uh, someone gave us a building. That's what he said. And he said, we weren't even praying for one. <laughs> and I just sitting there, I'm like, Dad, we've been praying for a free building. We still haven't got one. Now, I'm not envious for, for, for Nate. I'm really not. I, I rejoice with him. I do. I just thought it was kind of funny. I thought it was kind of funny when he said, someone gave us a building and we weren't even praying for one. Maybe we should quit praying. No, I'm just kidding. Let's pray. Let's pray. But, you know, the, the thing is, is that sometimes you can look and you can see how God blesses someone else and you think, darn it, how come God's not doing that here? And sometimes in our insecurity, in our pettiness, we as pastors, we can, we can envy the influence that God gives someone else. 
But you know what? When our lives are about Jesus, all that really matters is that Christ is proclaimed, regardless of who does it. You know, uh, you know. I, I said a moment ago, I, I, I have no problem with proclaiming Christ in Vacaville. I don't. I want to see those churches grow. I do. I want to see them reach more and more people for Jesus. It's just that I want the church in Fairfield to be the church in Fairfield. I want us to reach people here. Because in this community, you know, I want you to think about this for a moment. 60 churches, evangelical churches in our community. I, 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 I doubt we have 60 but let's just pretend in Fairfield and Sassoon we have 60 evangelical churches that are proclaiming the gospel every week. If every one of us were reaching 1,000 people, that would still mean there's about 85,000 people in Fairfield and Sassoon who don't have a church home. Our competition isn't each other. Our competition is our competition is soccer. Uh, it is youth soccer leagues. It, it's It's soccer. It's going to... The, the, to the city, it's it's going up to the mountains to go skiing. It's watching a favorite sports team. You know, our competition isn't other churches. Our competition is every other activity that people think is so important in their life that gets in the way of following Jesus and living the mission of Jesus together. Um, we can rejoice when Christ is proclaimed, even when some proclaim him with bad motives. Uh third principle in this text is this, is that we can rejoice in life and death when to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, where do I see rejoicing in this text? Verse 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. I will continue to rejoice. He says, I'll continue to rejoice. Why? For, for I, I, I know that through your prayers... And God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what's happened to me, will turn out for my deliverance. I, I can rejoice. Why? I, in verse 20, because I eagerly expect and hope that I will not be ashamed. I know I'm not going to be ashamed. God is not, God's going to accomplish His purpose in my life. Uh, but I know that I will have sufficient courage, uh, in, in no way, that I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or death. And then verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That folks, um, we can rejoice in life and death. We can. You don't have to face death with fear. You don't have to face dying with fear. But we can face death with rejoicing. And not only that, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we think we're kind of looking forward to going ahead and being with Jesus. And sometimes we, we have that attitude because we feel like our life sucks right now. But, folks, we can rejoice in life, too. We can. See, we can rejoice in life and death when to live as Christ and to die as gain. Um. Let me summarize this for you. Is you know, Paul's 12-word epitaph was for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. The message of Philippians 1, 12 through 26 is this, is that there's joy, there's joy in the advancement of the gospel. There's joy in the advancement of the gospel when to live as Christ and to die as gain. 
So what do you do with this? You know, one of the things that we've talked about as a church is we've talked about being next step disciples or next step followers of Jesus. And, and one, one of the things that we, we've been, we tried to do when we did our next step campaign was to encourage you to pray and say, God, what's the next step you want me to take in following Jesus? And this is what I will say is that when our epitaph is to live and die for Jesus, when our epitaph is to live and die for Jesus, and when we have this attitude of prayerfully seeking to know what God's next step is for us, that's where real joy resides. The real joy that the Philippians is talking about resides in this, this attitude of to live and die, it's all about Jesus. And when we are eagerly praying and saying, God, so what do you want my next step? to look like. What's your 12-word epitaph? Look at what you wrote earlier or what you didn't write. And then look at Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What do you want to be written on your tombstone? What do you want your life to count for? What are you going to put in your box? Let's pray. God, we want to be people who are living for something that's worth dying for. We want to be a people who think about how we want our lives to finish. And then who have that, that next step attitude of prayer asking you what you want our next step to look like. And we want to be a people who are taking those steps to live and to die for you and you alone. I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen.